And we will pray for Thomas, for Ken's uh, son-in-law later in the service. Uh, just now we turn to God's Word together, to the book of John, John chapter 9. Uh, the reading should appear on the screen, but if you would like to uh, use the Pew Bibles, then you'll find this passage on page 1075, 1075. John chapter 9, and we'll read together from verse 1. John chapter 9 and verse 1. As he went along, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spat on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. Amen. Well, a few years ago, uh, quite a few years ago, maybe six or seven years ago now, you may remember that I played a game of football, a charity game of football, the ministers against the police. And uh, you might not kind of have those two jobs in your mind together, but both ministers and police uh, sometimes have to have almost heroic levels of self-control and self-restraint. So I think we all enjoyed the opportunity to lay aside our self-control and our self-restraint for uh, 90 minutes and to kick each other up and down a football pitch uh, for the length of the game. The game went well. And in the end, it was a draw to each. And uh, as a, a minister, I should have said that's a good Christian draw and moved on. But I didn't want to stop there. I was playing at the, one of the greatest football arenas in the world for Hill. It's up there with, with uh, Clifton Hill. It's about that, that level. And I wanted to milk it for all it was worth. So we were about to finish. And I said, look, why don't we play on? We knew that we didn't have the legs for another half hour of football. So... I said, why, why don't we do penalties instead? And it was close. We, we played penalties. We, we, we were kind of level all the way through. So they would miss, we would miss, they would score, we would score. And then it came to my turn. 
And I knew as I stepped up, I was representing not just the clergy, but I was representing the Baptists. <laughs> and uh, guys, I, I let you down. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, I was quite, quite confident. I thought, it's, it's okay. And I, I had a look at the right-hand corner, hoping the, the keeper would, would clock that I was looking down there because I knew I wanted to pass it into the left-hand corner. And I ran up quite confident until the moment I went to, to hit the ball. And I sort of panicked slightly. And I knew the second that the ball left my foot, that, that, that wasn't quite the way I pictured it in my mind. Something's gone wrong there. And sure enough, there was no real power in the shot. It was a good height for the goalkeeper to save. And it wasn't right in the corner the way I'd pictured it in my mind. The keeper went down and saved it. And in the end, we lost. We lost. And... Thank you. I wasn't expecting that, but thank you. <laughs> so we're doing all the niceties after the game, trying to, um, you know, have polite conversation with police officers and make our way into the changing room. We're talking away about the things that ministers talk about, uh, funerals and weddings and all that kind of stuff. But in my head, all I'm thinking of is, that was not the way I pictured it. That was not the way it was meant to be. And sometimes in life we find ourselves saying that. That was not the way it was meant to be. The football game, you know, it wasn't a big thing. It felt like it at the time, as I share it with you now, even though it's seven years ago, I'll, I'll admit it still hurts a wee bit. But it wasn't a big thing. But sometimes, even with big things in life, we find ourselves saying that was not the way it was meant to be. Maybe we give ourselves to a big project or uh, to a great plan or to a career path, or to a relationship, and it doesn't go the way that we picture it will go in our minds. And we find ourselves saying, that was not the way it was meant to be. And if we take a step even further back, we don't do this very often because there are so many distractions with the television and the internet and our, our mobile phones, but if we take the time to take a step back and to look at the world around us, we will find ourselves saying often, I'm sure, surely this is not the way it was meant to be. This is not the way the world was made to be. Surely something somewhere has gone wrong. And I was struck when the Baptist Missionary Society video uh, opened by sharing some of the terrible things that are going on in our world today. And then the narrator said this, he said, it isn't meant to be like this. It isn't meant to be like this. Maybe that's what people thought as they walked past the man born blind 2,000 years ago. Maybe they looked at him with his eyes unable to see and they thought to themselves, it wasn't meant to be like this. And they would be right. It wasn't meant to be like that. When God created the world, uh, Adam and Eve were able to experience uh, the signs of God's goodness all around them with all of their senses. They were able to touch and to taste and to see and to hear the evidence of the goodness of God all around them. That was the way 
that the world was made to be. That was the way that the world was meant to be. But this man had never seen anything. He had never seen any of these evidences of the goodness and the greatness and the glory of God. And the disciples, as they walked past it, they thought what was common for the Jews to think in those days, they thought that the reason this man had been born blind was because of his sin or perhaps the sin of his parents. We could say in a sense they were right. This man was born blind because of sin. Because until there was sin, until Adam and Eve rebelled against the the rule of God, there was no sin, there was no sickness, there was no sorrow, there was no suffering, there was no uh, toil, no tears, no death. But Adam and Eve sinned, and all of these things flooded in to the world, and we've been sinning and suffering ever since. So sin was the root reason for this man's blindness. But though the, the disciples in a in a sense, were right. They were, of course, horribly, horribly wrong. They were horribly wrong. They'd assumed a direct link between this man's sin or this man's parents' sin and his suffering. That was far from true. Sin, of course, has consequences. If if, um, I commit a crime, then I might end up with a criminal record. Sin has consequences, but Christians have never believed, and the Bible has never taught that there is some kind of direct link between our sin and the suffering we face or the sickness that we have to endure. Uh, We we have never believed in good or bad karma. That is not what the, the Bible teaches, and that is not what the disciples should have seen as they saw this man. Imagine this man's plight. Imagine how terrible it must have been. He's not allowed to do any other job. The only way of providing income for himself that he is permitted to do is is to beg. So this man has to beg, and the people to to whom he begs for money, believe that in some way he is responsible for the condition that he finds himself within. It's a terrible situation. It's terribly sad. All around us we see the brokenness of the world which has fallen because of the rebellion of sin. But in John chapter 9, And in the Baptist Missionary Society video that we watched together, we see the evidence of the brokenness of our world, but we also see beauty, don't we? The world that God has made may be in some ways broken, but it's still beautiful. The heavens are still declaring the glory of God. The sky is still proclaiming the works of His hands. If you get Uh, Bob to to tell you some mind-boggling statistics about the size and the the scale of the universe. You you just can't get your head around it. 
points to the greatness and the glory of the God who made it. This world is still a beautiful place in which to live. And the crown of God's creation is us. The Bible tells us that we were made, male and female, we were made in the image and likeness of God. And yes, there may be brokenness within us because of the the fall. We may see some evidence of that brokenness in our bodies, in our minds, in our desires. But there is a great and a profound and a deep beauty within each one of us. We can still see the fingerprint of God in each of us. And that is a wonderful and glorious thing. And we saw that, didn't we, when we watched the video, we were introduced to Tada and to Phil and to Natalie, and they were full of joy, full of laughter, full of potential, and full of hope. Loved as people created by and loved by God. But the joy that we saw in that video was probably nothing compared to the joy that the man born blind came to know as he met Jesus, as he trusted Jesus enough to go and to follow his instructions, and as his eyes were opened, and as he saw for the very first time. Can you imagine what that must have felt like for him? Can you imagine the joy that he experienced in that moment. There is, of course, there a picture uh, for those of us who have trusted in Jesus and decided to follow him, to honor him, to obey him. Our eyes have been opened spiritually, haven't they? Our eyes have been opened spiritually, and we ought to know the joy of Jesus in our lives. It's interesting to me the way that Jesus healed him. So Jesus could have said, see, and the man would have seen. He could have said, be healed, and the man would have been healed. But instead, he, he bends down into the dust and spits in the dust and makes mud and rubs it on the man's eyes. Why would Jesus do that? He didn't need to do that, did he? Well, I think we're kind of been pointed back by the Lord Jesus to Genesis chapter 2, to the creation of uh, humanity. We are told the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground. So it's like Jesus is not just healing the man's eyes, it's like he is recreating the man's eyes from the dust of the ground. He is making them new. And in that, he kind of points forward in a sense, doesn't he? To that day, one day soon, when Jesus will come again, and he will make all things new. He will recreate the heavens and the earth. We will be given new bodies, those of us who are tired and 
We have aches and pains and bits of our bodies that don't work as well as they used to. He will make all things new. We will be given resurrection bodies. There will be beauty without the brokenness. Revelation 21, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, the home of God is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will remove all of their sorrows and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain for the old world and its evils are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making all things new. We rejoice in the hope of that day. But I want to close by encouraging us to think not about that day, but about this day. Those of us who are believers in Jesus, how do we live our lives in this day? Do we kind of twiddle our thumbs waiting for Jesus to come back? Do we hide in a holy huddle here in this building, hoping that no one will notice us? How do we live as we wait for the return of Christ? Well, we work. We work. So, our passage, John chapter 9 and verse 4, Jesus says, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Literally, we must work the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. We must work the works of him who sent Jesus. He is the light of the world. But remember, Later, Jesus gives that title to us, doesn't he? To the church. We are called to be the light of the world. And what does the light do? It shines in the darkness. We must work the works of God as we wait for Christ to come again. What work of God have you been called to do? Judy Cook heard the call of God to go to Thailand. And Thomas has heard the call of God uh, to go in his period of uh, respite from his work, his uh, time off work. He has heard the call of God to go to India through the Baptist Missionary Society and to serve there. What has the Lord called you to do? Some of us maybe will be called to far-flung lands, to India or to Thailand or to other places. Most of us, I suspect, will be called to work the works of God here in Airdrie. For most of us, this will be the place that God has called us to serve and to shine and to love in his name. Where are you called and what will you do in his name to bring the love and to shine the light of Jesus into the darkness? On this Harvest Sunday, as we give thanks to God for his 
faithfulness to provide for our needs as we give thanks to God for what He is doing around the world through the Baptist Missionary Society and through the church universal. Let's also, those of us who know the Lord Jesus as our Lord and Savior, let's make sure we are faithful to the call of God on our lives to meet the needs of others in the name of Jesus as we await His return. Let's bow our heads together as we pray.